Let us pray. You enrich our life, O Lord, with so much diversity. Children, old age, everything in between. The changing of the seasons, the hot summer, the cool days of fall to come, and then winter. You are not boring. And so we ask you to bring to us fresh and new something to wake up the very core of who we are that we might live our life in response to your diversity and your grace. Through Christ, the risen Lord, we pray. Amen. You know, last, uh, if you're looking online, um, we're having open house Sunday today, combined service, and we're casual and uh, it's a kind of a festive day uh, with a brunch and, and all of that. And we wish you were here, uh, but you're not, so we're going to eat your biscuits. Um, I was at the Covenant Sunday School class uh, party last night, and I uh, was talking to somebody and said, well, you, uh, you bring in this series on the fruit to an end. I said, yeah, it's been 10 sermons on uh, fruit. And he said, well, don't you think it's about time you put some meat on the table? Yeah. So we took his name off the rolls of the church <laughs> this, this morning after I checked um, how much he pledged. Okay, so <laughs> it's written in um, Ecclesiastes, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this line in the seventh chapter. It says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. I don't know if that's always true, uh, but the writer was getting at something. He had a context. But we have come to the end of this series. And uh, today is a summary of the nine fruit of the spirits found in Galatians uh, chapter 5. Paul writes this. By contrast, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. The word of the Lord. Well, this week a, a young woman called me uh, from Shreveport, Louisiana, and I had performed her wedding ceremony years ago. She's nice enough to call to reconnect. And in the course of our conversation, she told me that a group of young women in First Presbyterian Church, Shreveport, Louisiana, planned to take all of these 10 or 9 sermons on the uh, fruit of the Spirit and use them in their monthly Bible studies over the next 9 months, a fruit a month, listening to the sermon and then discussing how these fruit could change their lives. And I thought, how cool is that? The First Presbyterian Church, Richmond, Virginia, is connecting with First Presbyterian Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. What a small world. And then it struck me, but it's a, it's a good world in many ways that women are gathering together in Louisiana 
to study the fruit of the Spirit. It's a good world in that all of you are here for worship today when you could be anywhere else on a beautiful Sabbath day like this. It's a good world in that millions of people, if you stop and think about this, the entire world today, all over the world, millions of people will gather for worship and for cultivating these fruit in their lives. There's actually evidence of an abundance of these fruit in spite of all the situations that are desperately in need of these fruit, in spite of all the 9-11 attacks and disasters and evil in this world, there are these fruit. They don't go away. In fact, they are multiplying. Consider all, for example, all the acts of love that will happen just on this one day. Think of all the acts of love, the fruit of love, that will happen just today on Sunday all over the world, in Nebraska, in Oklahoma, in Texas, and in Malawi, Africa, in the Congo, in London, in Scotland, here in Richmond, Virginia, just small acts of love. Think of the joy that people will express all over the world, just today, birthday parties, celebrations, anniversaries, the joy of children, just today. Think of an older couple who will sit on their porch in their rockers enjoying a moment of peace at the end of this Sabbath day as they watch the sunset and share their time together. Peace will show up in many ways just today. And how would you calculate the amount of patience that will be displayed on this one day as people sit in hospital waiting rooms right now while we worship in all the hospitals throughout the world and, and here in Richmond, Virginia, people who are sitting in waiting rooms and beside the beds of their loved ones waiting and in prison visiting rooms. Think of this. All throughout the world today, families going to visit their loved ones who are in prison and waiting in those rooms to see them. Patience will show up in so many ways just in this 24-hour period of time. Kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and even self-control will abound in many people in many and various situations just on this one day. This fruit is evident in the world. And yet for every person who will feast on this fruit, there will be a person who will starve because of the lack of it in their life. Imagine those barren places in this world today where there is no love, and there are homes like that, and there are children with parents like that. Imagine places in this world where there'll be no joy today, in Syria, in Afghanistan, and in homes here in Richmond, Virginia, no joy. Imagine places where there'll be no fruit of peace no patience, no kindness shown today, no generosity, no faithfulness, no gentleness, and certainly no self-control. That world does exist, a world barren of this fruit. 
And that is why God sent Christ into this world. That the world might be saved from perishing without this fruit. Christ did not come into the world to scold us for getting it wrong or to punish us for our sins. But Christ came to seek that which is lost, barren, dry, dead, empty. He came to recover it. And without this fruit we've been talking about all summer, without this spirit of God that dwells within us, we are all lost. Without this fruit, we live in the wrong kingdom. We worship the wrong gods. And we live a misspent life. This is some serious fruit I've been talking about. I would argue with my friend at the party last night who is no longer a member of our church that (laughs) we have been putting the meat on the table. This fruit is some powerful stuff in this world. It is the fruit of the kingdom of God. I looked it up. There are 1,068 churches listed in Richmond, Virginia. 1,068 churches, at least in the Yellow Pages. And they are all proclaiming, I hope, trust, they are all proclaiming that this fruit exists. That it's in the world. And that it is available in Jesus Christ. And that the kingdom of God, in spite of all the bad news, the kingdom of God is growing among us. And I believe that's true. And there's a reason why we are here at 4602 Cary Street Road. We're not here by accident. We're not here out of habit. We're not here even out of tradition. We're here to bear this fruit in this city. As a farmer watches over his or her fields, so we are called to watch over this fruit, to guard it from extinction, to cultivate it, to nourish it, and to pray for an abundant harvest in this church and in our city. Many churches may be using the wrong indicators in gauging their success. Maybe it's not how many members you have. How big is your church? That's a question clergy ask whenever we get together. How many members do you have? What's your budget? They're the wrong questions, brother. The question is, is your church bearing this fruit in the world? Wouldn't a small church of just 25 members that is bearing this fruit be more powerful in the kingdom of God than a 25,000-member church without it? I'd take the 25 members any day who are bearing this fruit over 25,000 who are not. And wouldn't someone be more attracted to a church bearing this fruit than to a church in which this fruit has dried up on the vine? And the answer to both questions is obviously yes. This is at the core of who we are as Christians in this world. And yet it is easy for us, easy for us and for any church to be diverted by lesser things. You may have heard the parable of the 
Fishless Fisherman's Club. I love this story. A group of fishermen formed a club to discuss the philosophy and techniques of catching fish. Now, they shared their passions for fishing, and they studied the ways of the fish, and they debated on the topics of what fish can eat and when. And they attended conferences on fishing and invited guest speakers to ponder the mysteries of fishing, and some even obtained doctorates in fishing. But no one actually fished. So committees were formed to organize fishing parties and goals and objectives were established with Towns Presbyterian. Goals and objectives were established with budgets and evaluation processes. Websites, bulletin boards, and emails were used to encourage others to fish. But they were all just simply too busy with all of this to actually go fishing. And then one day, a new person joined the club. And after one inspiring meeting, he actually went fishing and he actually caught a big fish. And at the next meeting, he told his story of how he had caught this fish. And so they honored him for his catch. He was then scheduled to speak to other chapters and was elected to the board of directors of Fishing Clubs International. And soon... He no longer had any time to fish. You see, this can't be us. Richmond, Virginia needs all 1,068 of its churches to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in this city. All 1,068. We can't afford to lose a one. For this city, in this city, to the glory of God. And none of us can become consumed with studying fruit or analyzing the soil or debating the various techniques of pruning or building museums to house the relics of those who used to bear fruit. Because it is upon us to be a church, a people who bear this fruit in our town. You see, we will be judged by the quality of our fruit, not by the size of our buildings, our budgets, or our memberships. But how do you do this work of fruit bearing as a church? And this is exactly what our challenge is. This is every church's challenge, not just yours, but every church that opened its doors this morning has the challenge of bearing this fruit in its city and in the world. How do you do it? These fruit of the Spirit are born in us by a work of God. It's not something we vote on or manufacture ourselves. And yet... Any church, including ours, is always free to reject the work of God in us or to neglect it. And we substitute it with lesser things and we become, in a sense, a fishing club that never fishes. 
To bear this kind of fruit is a discipline in life. It just doesn't happen. It's a disciplined life. It's a choice you make over and over and over. Not once, not one conversion, a million conversions. Always turning your life over to the work of the Holy Spirit in you to cleanse you, to renew you, to forgive you, to make you stronger and more mature in your faith. It's a lifelong journey. We call it discipleship. And churches need to move away from the membership business into the discipleship business. Jesus said this in, his, in John's gospel. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing is a big word. Nothing is not an option for this church or any church. We must be more than a charitable organization. We've got to be more than a department of social services handing out frozen turkeys to poor people during the holidays. I mean, not, that's not just what Department of Social Services does, but that's a bad example of being a charitable organization. We've got to be more than a school where people sit around and think about things, and, and we've got to be more than a daycare for children. We've got to be more than a funeral home. And we can never afford to be a museum. Someone once said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Now these fruit bring healing to the world. They bring healing to this town. And they bring healing to us. These fruit must be cultivated unless they wither and die. Because the stakes in the world right now are too high for us to be void of these fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. We've got to have them. Ed White, a friend of mine, is now retired, uh, was senior consultant of Auburn Institute. He identified what he calls the five crises facing our congregations. And this is after a lifetime of serving in the ministry and presbytery exec of the National Capital uh, Presbytery. And here's his five crises he saw facing us. One's a spiritual crisis. Churches tend to preach more on the rules and regulations than they do on grace. I hope that's not true here. Two, a functional crisis. Most of our congregations are in the membership business. We've lost the vision of what it means to be in the disciple-making business. Three, a cultural crisis. The relationship between the church and our culture has changed 180 degrees in our lifetime the cultural attitude toward the church ranges from indifferent to hostile. A generational crisis, number four. The modern generation would ask, is it true? But the new postmodern generation asks, does it work? Does this matter? And fifth, a leadership crisis. We have a rapidly growing shortage of capable clergy and a growing shortage of laity who can and will make the commitment required to lead. I hate it, but that is true. 
Diana Butler Bass, another friend of mine and an author, she writes this. All sorts of people, even mature, faithful Christians, are finding conventional religion increasingly less satisfying, are attending church less regularly, and are longing for a new expression of spiritual community. We need this fruit in this church because that's what the world is actually hungry for. And Rachel Evans, a young uh, pastor, author of Evolving in Monkey Town. Now, you know, I just want to read that just because of the title. But she posted a blog a couple of years ago on the CNN website entitled Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church. And Rachel writes this, time and again, the assumption among Christian leaders is that the key to drawing 20-somethings back to church is simply to make a few style updates, edgier music, more casual services, a coffee shop in the fellowship hall, a pastor who wears skinny jeans, which is not going to happen. (laughs) That ain't happening. I love you too much for you to see that. And an updated website that includes online giving. She writes, what millennials want from the church, and she is one, and she has a blog that is connected to thousands of millennials. What millennials want from the church is not a change in style, but a change in substance. Wow. You can't hand us a latte and then go about business as usual and expect us to stick around, she writes. We're not leaving the church because we don't find the cool factor. We're leaving the church because we don't find Jesus there. Now you can argue with her because I find Jesus in this church. I found Jesus in you the day I walked in. Friendliest church I've ever met is you. And so not every church is void of these fruit of the spirit, but I get her point. If we are form without substance, we will die, and we should. This work of the Holy Spirit is our salvation. It is the future. It is the strategic plan. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, generosity. So consider these fruit as I wrap this series up. The love of God is not conditional like our love, but it's open to all people, all people. You can't find a person on the face of the earth today. Take somebody totally opposite from you. The love of God covers both you and her. They're all included in God's love. The joy of Christ is not tied to circumstances. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is there even in the middle of the storm. And I'm telling you, that's hard. Because when I'm in the middle of the storm, I feel sick. And yet the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of our faith, the joy of the people who love us while we're going through that storm prevails. 
the peace of Christ, reconciles relationships that we cannot or in some cases will not reconcile. That broken relationship between you and that family member you're thinking about right now. You can't fix it, neither can they. The peace of Christ that you just passed with each other is a peace that runs deeper than the peace you can construct. And who doesn't need the patience of Jesus as we spend a lot of time in this life waiting, always waiting for something? And the kindness of Christ makes the church hospitable, warm, welcoming, rather than cold and uninviting and formal and boring and dead. Fred Craddock once said, in light of the resurrection, there is one sin the the church can never afford to commit. It is the sin of being dead. We worship a risen Christ. We can't be dead. And the generosity of Jesus is not limited to charitable tax deductions or giving out a surplus at the end of the year. But when you have the generosity of Jesus, you have a generous heart that goes with you everywhere you go. There is no place, there is no time that you would not be generous when you are in Christ. And the same is true for faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are things we don't have on our own. And if if, if we do, they are limited in their supply. So who wouldn't want to belong to a church full of these fruit? Who wouldn't come in the door and see these fruit evidence in us and want to sign up? That's the church, First Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia, has always been called to be and empowered to be. Since 1812, that's who you have been. That church with these fruit, evidence to the world. We've made our mistakes. You read the history book. By the way, there's copies of it in the fellowship hall next to the ham biscuits. But you read the history book and the church has made its mistakes, but you read the Bible and so did Israel. (laughs) And so did the disciples and so did the early church. But the power of God's Holy Spirit has been pouring through Israel, the disciples, the early church and first Presbyterian church always. May God's spirit bear an abundance amount of this fruit in us in this time in this place for the glory of God in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit all God's people said Amen